Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. This is Core Truth, where we discuss the philosophy of core belief therapy created by Rudy Eckhart. I'm your show host, Mark Follett, and today we're going to discuss communication in relationships. Good morning, Rudy. How are you? Good morning, Mark, and good morning, everyone. It's a very uh, universally... um, Problematic. Problematic. I was (laughs) going to say useful topic, but certainly it's a universally problematic topic uh, for our listeners, but for everyone in general, I think everyone has conflicts in relationships, whether it be the relationships with the people that they consider their significant other, or whether it be people they are in business with, or even their children. I mean, we'll probably narrow this down to people that are our significant other, for today, but it has connotations of any personal relationship dealing with of con- any kind of any kind of any De- dealing with conflict with friends with with flatmates with mm. um, with people we work with with uh, our clients. Flatmates with, is an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, flatmates probably needs household protection, from what I understand. <laughs> um, that there, there can be multiple issues how to deal with a flatmate. Maybe that's a worthy topic one day. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, well, communication, let's just keep communication in a very general form at the moment, and we probably will, you know, here and there specialize or be specific in certain areas, but we could always do specific broadcasts on specific areas like mm-hmm. flatmates and stuff like that. Yeah, we could yeah. grab, grab a few different topics or communication at work, communication mm-hmm. with superiors. Um and superiors communication with the staff. So yeah, yeah. it works in every direction. So communication in general is really, really important for us to exist in the world and um, have our... Because what it comes down to, with communication, we get our presence and our beingness recognized. Mm. I was going to ask you for a bit of a definition of communication because it could just be thought of as verbal communication but it's much greater than that which is what you're saying yeah there's a strong emotional and i'm going to say spiritual um consciousness context in communication because if we did not communicate with everyone it would be probably create the emotion and the sense that we don't exist so it's it's almost the way that we sense ourselves as existing is to to gain interaction with the things and people around us right? yeah yeah it is like if you don't really feel that you physically exist until you start touching things <laughs> right and that's on a physical level mm-hmm. so you could say that communication is is touching on a more emotional psychological consciousness level so it's, it's proving your emotional existence in a way the existence of your consciousness right yeah yes. the, the the presence of your being so if if everybody ignored you to the extreme, then would feel you don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had, a, you had a story that you, uh, that you wrote some time ago about a, a guy that, um, that 
left the village and went up into the mountains. Uh, that was in my first book, and I left it out of the, the book that's published now. It's, it's a probably story. a good example of what you... Well, it's, it's a story of Tim, and it's a very interesting one in the sense that it was like a made-up fairy story for adults. Um, and that was about Tim um, living in a village, and um, in this particular land, if you like, the land in which his village was, there were no reflections, so there were no mirrors, there was no way that anybody could see what they looked like. And so you totally relied on other people to um, to know what you looked like. And so depending yeah. depending on what feedback you got, depending on what say, they said to you, and if they met you in the morning and said, hi, Tim, how are you? And Tim, uh, Tim would say, I'm well. I said, and they would say to him, well, you're looking terrific, Tim. You're looking really well. Tim would feel really good because he had just heard that he looked really well. So he felt confidence in his physical appearance, right? So his point of reference was communication. With was communication person. was the only way he would know what he looked like, mm -hmm. right? But it goes deeper, of course, because it is also, um, in the real sense, it is who you are. Your inner identity is reflected, if you like, by how you communicate and how others communicate to you. Mm -hmm. um, so, so then um, one day he goes out exploring into the hills and he's a bit of a curious guy and he finds this cave that has a broken ceiling and the light falls through the cave and it hits a wall and this wall has some quartz material on it which reflects and for the first time in his life, in his whole existence, he sees himself in the reflection of the quartz on the wall. But unbeknownst to him, the quartz obviously distorts his face. And he looks at his face and he thinks, oh my God, is that what I look like? And he now believes that he's got this horrible distorted face and he now believes that everybody in the village always lied to him. Because he sees other people, mind you, and he sees good-looking people and, and nice-looking people and he talks to them in the same way as they talk to him and he compliments them on their appearance in order for them to know that they're looking good. Mm. So he, right? he's now comparing a distorted image that he saw in this... Of himself. Of yeah. himself with the images he's, that he sees with his eyes of other people and saying, I'm I'm not the same. Yeah, but also guy. he's saying to himself, everybody's lied to me. Mm. They're saying I look, I, I look amazing, I look fantastic, and they've just been deceiving me because I'm this ugly, horrible-looking person. Mm. So then he leaves the village because he can't live with that. Back, and he actually cannot live with himself. So that's what it comes down to. So he isolates himself somewhere in the hills away from the village and only goes in rarely because he's embarrassed and ashamed about the way he looks. And nobody understands why he's behaving this way. They don't, just don't get it. Mm. And he's angry with everybody and they don't understand it. Mm. And so he lives in the hills as a sour man and he gets older and older. And then one day there's a knock on the door and there's a stranger there, and it was kind of the custom in that part of the the world, if you like, for people to always feed, feed strangers and give them shelter because one day they might be in the same position. And so he lets the stranger in reluctantly, and uh, he starts talking to the man, and he has a vague sense that he knows him, but he doesn't really recognize him, and so... He he uh, he starts to talk, and the stranger says, "Why are you living so far away from the village?" And he gets angry. He said, "Well, can't you see what I look like?" And I said, "Yes, I can, but 
why are you living so far away from the village? And he gets angrier still. And he says, don't you see how horrible I look? How terrible I look? Can't you see that? Why are you, why are you lying to me as if everything is okay with me? And so the stranger begins to laugh. And he gets, of course, more angry than he was before because his man now laughing at him and he feels totally embarrassed, ashamed and angry. And so the man then all of a sudden says, you found a cave, didn't you? And then he stops his anger and he says, well, how do you know? How did you know I found a cave? He said, because I found a cave many, many years ago. I used to be your father's friend. And then he recognizes him as his father's friend. He says, when I found a cave, I saw myself and I left the village because I couldn't live with myself just like you. And therefore, I traveled the world to find out who I really am, what I really look like. There's nothing wrong with you. It's the cave that distorts your face. Your face is fine. And then he realizes that he's speaking the truth and he becomes very emotional and he realizes that he wasted his life believing that there was something wrong with him and therefore not living the life he could have lived. And so it's, it's a metaphorical story. It's about believing that there's something wrong with you and then engaging in the world based on that belief. Mm. And that, that belief comes out, your negative beliefs about yourself. In other words, your, your belief that you're not good enough, that you're inadequate, that you're not attractive, undesirable, that you should be fatter, shorter, thinner, taller, slimmer, different to what you are, that you're not smart enough or clever enough, all this comes out in your communication. Mm -hmm. It comes out in how you talk to people. And it comes out how you perceive what they say to you. So your perception and your understanding <laughs> and what it means is all determined by who you believe yourself to be. Mm. It's, it's interesting that um, in that story, it's a very important point, I think, of the story, is that the perception that Tim had that his face was completely ugly and distorted and no one no one would, could possibly have liked him, was a lie, was, it, was, was not the truth at all. And, and fear is like that in the way you've explained it, in that it creates a distorted picture of reality that's not true. Of yourself. Of yourself. You, you have a distorted picture of yourself in your own mind that is not true. It's not necessarily what others see until you project that out in your communication. Is that what you're saying? Well, you, you, um, when you believe, for instance, you're... I've used this example before, so maybe I should use a different example. If you believe that you're unattractive, mm -hmm. no matter how pretty or handsome you are, right, you will, you will assume that other people see you like you perceive yourself to be. And based on that perception, you expect them to react to you. It can get to the point that when people compliment you, you actually believe that you're just being nice and lying to you, just like Tim did. Mm. Right? Just humoring you. <clears throat> just humoring you, just being nice to you. And because when you look in the mirror, you will see your face according to the perception that you have of yourself, which is if, if you believe you're ugly or unattractive, you will look at every part of your face and make it out to be a flaw. Your eyes are too wide apart. They're too big or too small. Your nose is too long or too straight or too, too buckled. Your lips are not big enough or wide enough. Your mouth is too small or too thin. Your chin is too prominent or not prominent enough. 
your cheekbones are too wide or not wide enough or not there at all. Too many wrinkles or... Your skin is not what it's supposed to be. Your hair (coughs) is the wrong colour, it's the wrong fluffiness or the wrong whatever, right? If you're curly, you want to have it straight. If you're straight, you want to have it curly. You'll find a reason to criticise your face because... It has nothing to do with your face. It, it has everything to do with your perception of yourself within yourself. Once you, once you believe yourself to be ugly, you will see yourself as ugly. It, it's almost, to me, this almost sounds like the extreme version of this is, say, anorexia, where someone believes themselves to be overweight um, to the point where they're, from, from an outsider's perspective, from someone looking at them, they're grossly underweight, dangerously underweight. Yeah, and, and are quite ugly and unattractive because they're underweight. Yeah, whereas they look in the mirror and see someone that's overweight. And see themselves as becoming more and more attractive, even if it's not enough, by losing weight. Mm. Mm. And they can look like skeletons, and to them, it's still too much. Mm. And that is because it's a belief. It's not a physical reality. Mm. And this is where, where I have said in many of the podcasts before, our physical reality is a product of our beliefs. And, and this is probably puts a finer point on it, in that you literally, literally see yourself according to your belief systems, physically, but obviously also mentally. So we have emotional and mental characteristics which define us, whether we're stupid or smart, yeah? whether we are powerful and in control, or whether we're weak and victims, whether we... Um, are emotionally resilient or emotionally vulnerable, whether we um, can deal with confrontation or we fear confrontation will overwhelm us, Um, whether we have the right and that we are entitled to have what we want or we feel that we are a burden and a nuisance if we were to ask for something and express our entitlement. And so all these things define the way we communicate. All these things define how we are in relationships now, once you, once you come out of your childhood and you enter the world, let's say you go through your teenage, let's not get lost in teenagehood for the moment, and just move along and go into young adulthood, right? Where we um, act and behave in the world often thinking that we know everything about ourselves and everything there is to know, and we have a level of confidence which is most of the time not justified uh, because we, we actually don't even know who we are. But we think we do. We think we recognize our own characteristics and our strengths and weaknesses and justify whatever behavior we have if it gets us what, our, what we want or if it helps us avoid what we fear. Um, in that time, right, we also start forming more adult-like relationships, And uh, it is that time that communication becomes a very significant part of those relationships. Um, It is also the time that all our issues start to play out, (laughs) right? And so we've talked about relationships, and we know that now, by what we've learned from from previous podcasts, that we choose partners who complement our issues and problems. Now, issues and problems also... um, as I'm going to, as if we are talking about it now, define how we communicate, define how we perceive, um, how we are communicated with, the manner in which that happens, what is being said. We interpret it according 
to the fears and insecurities that we have. Is that because communication is a form of self-expression? So if you believe yourself to be a certain way, then the way you communicate is a form of expression of what you believe yourself to be. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, it is. Let, let's say you're half right. So, yes, you do communicate the way you believe yourself to be, but you may believe that you are weak and powerless, but you may have the strategy of acting strong and aggressive. So the behavior might not match the... Your communication may not necessarily match. Your communication will be an expression of a behavior. Right. To communicate to the other person, no, I'm not weak and powerless. I am strong and you can't get the better of me. So that person would come across as behaving like overbearing or... Very, yeah, or, very somebody, or somebody who fears being a failure because they believe they're not good enough and tries to communicate to the world that they are successful, amazing, fantastic mm-hmm. and can do anything mm-hmm. and achieve anything in life. Right, it it is like communication is 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 many things, mm. uh, but when it comes from an issue, it is never truthful, mm. and that is something that um, is um, for most people difficult to accept, to accept. In that, if they have issues, that that their communications. Um, are distorted by the issue and therefore move to a place where they actually don't represent the truth, they're, where they're not honest and not sincere. It's, it's probably not even contrived because they're not honest with themselves in that scenario. But, yeah, it, it, it is not a, a consciously contrived process. It's not a con- consciously contrived communication. It's not people that are lying outwardly that are saying... Not deliberately. Not deliberately lying to someone else, not, not saying to their partner they did... That they feel a certain way when they actually consciously feel a different way. We're not talking at the moment about... No, because that. most of our negative beliefs, if not all of our negative beliefs, are subconscious. They drive us, but we don't know what drives us. We just recognize feelings. Mm. We have thoughts. We have um, learned in our childhood to have certain strategies. And we apply those strategies in communication and in connection with others Um in response to our thoughts and feelings. So, so if we go back to Timmy then, after he, he sort of has this belief that he's ugly, how would he interact with the, when he first goes back to the village? How is his outwardly, how is his behaviour, how is, how is he... But after the event? After the event of seeing himself as ugly and then he goes back to the village and believes everyone else is lying to him. Right. How does the other people that's, that, are, that see him at that stage, his behaviour has probably changed. Yeah. So he's probably um, more aggressive, or he's trying to hide himself. A lot. Well, he's embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah, so he tries he would to carry himself differently. So he carries himself totally differently. He 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 would try not to be seen and noticed. He will scuttle along the walls in order not to be recognised by anyone. He will be quick and uh, short in his communications in order not to expose himself too much. And um, in his particular case, um, he, his constant fear that if he has to communicate with someone, that they will then see who he perceives himself to be. And therefore, he imagines that they are thinking of him in a very negative way and feeling sorry for him. Poor Tim, he's so ugly. And he doesn't want to be f- 
He doesn't want to be judged like that. He doesn't want to be seen like that. He feels embarrassed and ashamed for being this ugly individual. Right? Now, interesting, right? If you take that concept, right, and you imagine you imagine somebody who's got um who's got certain physical issues, like for instance, a birthmark on the face, or blind, or um happens to be born unfortunate with unfortunate genes that might not make their face really attractive and amazing, right? But the person inside, right, can be an amazing person. Do, do you understand? Mm-hmm. Or could have the potential to be an amazing person. Mm-hmm. But he has long learned from childhood, from his school years and teenagehood, that people judge him to be ugly and unattractive because he literally has a face that may not be, he may have a nose that stands out, or he may have, you know, there may be literally something that makes him look very different from everybody else, right? How that person must feel inside. We don't consider that. You know, we actually even turn away from people like that. We we, we don't come close to us because we actually are so fearful of being like that, we don't want to associate with that. And so we discriminate without realizing that we do. We actually, we actually judge them without wanting to judge them. Like by saving ourselves from being that way and disassociating ourselves, there is a judgment for that person. Mm. There's a judgment in how they look and how they appear. And you communicate it by your actions and by your behavior and by the way you associate with someone like that. Right. If 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 you step over a person um, who's lying in the street and you don't even take the time to see if they're all right, right? That that is because you are disgusted by their by the way they are, and you are probably reinforcing that person's disgust with themselves, and that's why they are on the street because on some level they may be disgusted with themselves. Mm. You know, I, I once, um, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's For me it was because it was, um, I met this guy in a, uh, he was, he was a, a wild looking street person who came into the pub and he came across as very aggressive and very confronting and everybody backed away from him. Um, that's the first time I saw him. Um, then the next time I saw him, he was lying on the street near a pub in Bulamalu, in the middle of the street, the road, like not the footpath, and everybody was driving around him. So I picked him up and dragged him to the side of the road, and he was drunk, and he was bleeding, and I did something about the blood, and I talked to him, and he was not even there, and there's nothing I could do for him, really, uh, other than he just had to sit out his drunken state, because I've seen him before, and every time I've seen him, he was drunk. And so I, I, I made sure he was like in a relatively good place. He had time to, to sit against the ball and, and sleep it off. Um, and so Christmas came, and I was my first Christmas alone at the age of 33, without going into the details why. Um, and I was living in... Elizabeth Bay near King's Cross and I was walking through the park where El Alamein Fountain is in King's Cross and it had just been redone, the whole park had been redone just months before 
And I was sitting there having a cigarette, uh, smoked at that time, by myself, contemplating Christmas morning. And there he came. It was him, and he was in a good state. Like he was aware and conscious and present. And I called him over and asked him if he wanted a cigarette, because I knew he smoked. And so I gave him a handful of cigarettes out of my packet and asked him to sit down, and we started talking. And then he told me that... Um, because I asked him, why? Why are you living out the back of your car? Why do you roam the streets? Why don't you go home? Haven't you got a wife? And he told me the story that he worked as a wolfie and uh, one day he was um, out with his wife in the car. He was driving. He had a car accident and his wife died and he felt responsible for that. And he's not been able to live with himself. And uh, I thought to myself, how many stories must there be that street people have of emotional dramas that they couldn't cope with and they couldn't deal with and they need to be away. They need to be away from life, from people, because they feel they lack the capacity to, to, to emotionally deal with this, right? Um, and so it gave me a whole different vision of him, a whole different understanding of him. And whilst, you know, I, I was not doing what I'm doing now, I was not working in this profession that came a good 10 years later, I, I never forgotten the story because it changed my mind about the way I saw people in general, but specifically people like him, that we, we don't know their story, we're quite happy to step over them, we don't pay attention to them, and they're like the flotsam of society that we don't deal with and don't think about and we think of, of them as homeless people and we label them in certain ways but how few people really know their story and why they're out there and why they live the way they do why it is their choice um, what pain they live with uh, how difficult life is for them emotionally I mean because we, 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 we gravitate towards solving these kind of problems with thinking what these people need is a home, what these people need is money, what these people need is food. But what these people really need is to be safe from themselves. Mm. Because they walk around with a perception of themselves that is so extreme and so, in his case, so guilt-driven that he could not live his life anymore the way he was living it before. Mm. I mean, it, in a way, it, <clears throat> it it's parallel with the Timmy story. It's just a more extreme version of that, isn't it? Where, yeah. Um, and it shows you that reality is more extreme than what you can conjure up in your mind, yeah. you know? But there's something else I thought of while you were, were talking about that story. Is we're talking now, and when we say communication in relationships, people we were originally talking about with your significant other person, the person you spend the most of your time with, right? But the reality of what the story you just um, explained is that we have a relationship with everybody we come across. You, yes. In, in walking past someone, you having, you're having a relationship with them. You're, you're communicating in some way, even if in your own mind you're just thinking about why is that man on the street and he's thinking, why is he walking past me? You're actually somehow communicating your, your beliefs to each other through the way that you present yourselves. Yeah, it could just be in the way you look at each other, but I, I guess you're more aware of it 
when you exchange words with somebody mm-hmm. and communication in that respect, you know, even when you buy something in a shop and you deal with a shop assistant um, or you, um, you work with people, um, you connect with clients if that is part of your job, um, you, um, your interaction with close family members, with, with, um, with your partner, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your flatmates, with your, um, with your clients, with people at work, with your boss and the boss with you. All these are levels of communication which, in which you, as a human consciousness with beliefs, present yourself in more in more similar ways than what you think. <laughs> um, in other words, having the level of experience that I've had in the last 25, 6 years now working in this, um, I recognize that if one is perceptive and truly aware that an individual cannot really hide who they are, the, the main issue lies in... Um, a, they not perceiving this themselves for what they really are, even though they think they do, because they, they often only know themselves by their behaviors. And that's something I just want to mention in a moment. But also that um, the people that see them cannot see who they are, because they're also stuck in their issues and problems. And they're probably only judging them by their behaviors as well. And that becomes the surface of, judge, uh, the surface of judgment that everyone has of everyone else. Mm. So, so strategies are often encouraged in um, behaviors as well. So, behaviors, attitudes, um, which can be, in the overall sense, dominating and controlling, passive and aggressive. We're all kind of familiar with these words, just being plain aggressive. Could be the outlandish way you dress or the, the way that you. Yeah, well, if you, if you feel insignificant, if you feel that you're not being noticed and seen, and your inverted commas in- aggressive way of dealing with that you could do it through dress you could do it through behavior you could do it through be- making yourself the center of attention having but, having purple hair and rings and t- yeah that sort of thing to, to stand out <laughs> to stand out to look but, different but yeah. we need to go back to like communication and what i what i want to say about communication that communication in terms of how we identify with ourselves is usually most critical when we're in a situation where love is the currency in the relationship. Mm. Which is why it's more intense in the relationship with of the person who's your wife, your husband, right. significant other. Right? Yeah. So, and if you're then looking what your problems are, they'll probably be more prominent, more obvious, and more significant in those relationships, even though they will play out in every other relationship. Mm. So, so if we focus on personal relationships of that nature, right, we'll probably also expose a lot of other things, um, or no, a lot of other connections that, no, I'm not saying this right. If we, if we look at the personal rela- uh, issues in personal relationships so with partners, then it will also expose the issues and problems that you play out with friends, relations, um, work people with yeah. your boss etc etc so in my case the way that i interact with my wife and the issues and problems that play out in my relationship affect my business partnerships or the people that work for me it affects the way i deal with anybody yeah 
it, well. it, it is in, hidden in all those communications as well. The intensity levels change because it doesn't matter for you as much to be loved and accepted by the person that works for you yeah. as it does to be loved and accepted by your partner. So mm -hmm. the intensity levels are quite different, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what is the biggest problem in communication? Mm -hmm. The the biggest problem that we have is that we um, we do not understand who we are to the level that we should know who we are. So our identity, the identity of our consciousness and our being is rolled up in two specific areas, right? Who you were originally born to be, which in many ways can be undefined because you haven't had the chance to give it expression and therefore it hasn't received a face, if you like, it hasn't received a definition. And then who you believe yourself to be, which is often... Um, when, when we talk who you believe yourself to be, can be divided in two pieces. If who you believe to yourself to be conforms and is resonant in, har in harmony with who you're meant to be, then that is positive. If who you believe to be is a product of fear, so it's fear-based belief, I'm unacceptable, undesirable, insignificant, worthless, not good enough, etc., right? Then that will then drive you into formulating for yourself strategic behaviors in order to overcome that fear, which will then play out in your communication. So if we go back to Timmy again, it's, it's the difference between him enjoying, enjoying his life because he knows that he's acceptable to other people to all of a sudden having a fear-based belief where he's Everyone's been. Everyone's lying to him, and, and yeah, he's in the in the perception that he's unacceptable, unwanted. Yeah, and that doesn't that, that doesn't match with his that, <clears throat> that matches his communication, and it also matches the way he perceives the communication coming back because now he thinks it's a lie. That's an important point, isn't it? That it also affects your perception of how others are trying to communicate with you. Yeah, ex totally. Mm. So, so this is to understand, and it has been said before in, in other podcasts, that your belief systems, when they are negative, affect your thoughts, your feelings, your perception, and your behavior. Your belief systems are the origin for all of that. All of these elements, right, are controlled by who you believe yourself to be. So if it's positive and in harmony with who you're meant to be, it will be a positive experience, a positive thought, positive perception, and your behavior will be naturally of a positive nature. But if there are issues involved, right, if you have fears and insecurities, then you'll, be, uh, you'll have negative feelings, negative thoughts, because they're fear-based, and, be, and you will have a negative reaction and negative interpretation, which is perception, uh, of others and, to, and of yourself. Mm. And so that distorts, if you like, not only your communication with another, but also your capacity to clearly understand what it is they mean. I'm going to make it harder now, <laughs> because just as you have your issues and you communicate through the filter of your issues with other people, the person you're talking to also has issues 
and communicate through the filter of their issues. And so their fear and your fear-based communication interact. And um, it is one of the reasons that we, when we are with partners, um, that we cannot clearly communicate because we cannot see their fears and insecurities because of our own. Our own fears and insecurities blind us from recognizing theirs because if theirs match ours, right, then we can't see it because there are certain need aspects related to our fears which then seem to be fulfilled by the way our partner acts and behaves towards us. Mm. So if I give the extreme example again, if you have an aggressor and a victim, right, to the, the, to the aggressor, the victim is somebody he can protect and look after and control. To the victim, the aggressor is someone that will protect her and save her from her fears and insecurities. The reality is they're both very similar, but on the level at which they communicate, particularly in the initial part of the relationship, she seeks safety and security from him, and him, in his aggressive presentation of himself, appears to be the strong, capable, competent person who can provide that security. And so they cannot see that eventually he is going to victimize her and that he is going to feel a victim of her needs and expectations and feels powerless to fulfill them. Because once you are a victim, you remain a victim. An aggressor or a caretaker cannot take you out of victimhood. Your, your need for protection, security and safety will be endless. Be never filled. Will never fill because it's your belief that you are a victim. And so you, the role you play out as a victim is constant, right? And, and, and bottomless, if you like. The aggressor um, will eventually either become abusive because he's so angry that he can, and feels powerless in fulfilling those expectations. And which will then confirm for her that she's a victim and powerless in life. Um, and um, it makes him feel, actually, that he is powerless in life because he is powerless to be what he thinks he is expected to be. The protector. The protector in his way, in his manner, with all the fears and insecurities that he has, right? Mm. Which, which I don't want to go into right now. Uh, and so there's a frustration there. But I promise you, their initial communication will be such that she feels wonderful with him and he feels great with her because initially they seem to fulfill each other's needs and expectations and they may think that they found its soulmates in each other even. Is that, yeah? is that because the, the behaviours that they exhibit as a result of their fears... Fit, it's complementary. It's complementary, yeah. yeah. So you're saying that you've got two people that are not being their authentic self... Um, when when they try to communicate coming from their authentic self, it runs through the filter of their fears, first of all, in the way that they express themselves, and then it reaches the other person, then has to filter through the, the fear, the lenses of fear that the other person has before it gets to... So communication is going through two, two layers of 
of yeah, but, fear-based but, lenses, but you're yeah, saying but you're when, not when aware they, of it. You're not aware of it. When it fits up perfectly, you're not aware of it at all. No, because it seems it seems right. <laughs> because it also reflects what you used to in childhood. Mm. Because you're basically repeating your childhood fears. So whatever your whatever your experience is, is at that time, it is a it is a confirmation of what for you was always real and true. So it seems very logical for you that that should be how it how the relationship should be, because that's what you've learned through your parents, through your childhood. Mm. And so it's for both parties the same. See, it's really difficult for a lot of people to see something from the other perspective um, and to not just see it through their own eyes and begin to realize that two people are trying to have a relationship um, and the way may well be genuine love and genuine attraction but then it's distorted by the fears that they have and it may never come to reality because of the fact that it can't be enduring because sooner or later those fears and insecurities are going to come to the surface and that will distort the relationship. Mm. Yeah, so we've only got, we've only got a, minute, a minute left to go um, today, Rudy. So in, in summary, I suppose it's a, it's a marvel that, we, uh, that we're able to actually have functional relationships <laughs> And, and communicate at well, all. We, well, yeah, you have to question whether they're as functional as we think they are. Yeah. Do you yeah. understand? And I, I think what I'd like to do, I'd like to continue this discussion actually yeah. next time. I think that's a good Because idea. it's a much bigger subject than what we originally thought it was going to be. <laughs> so, because there's more to say about it. It's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I, yeah. Th- I think communication is truly important. And I think I want to get to, eventually get to be talking about... Um, how we can overcome problems in communication mm-hmm. and and uh, transcend, to some degree anyway, um, the miscommunications that we have, particularly in close relationships, how we can recognize um, when communication is distorted and see if we can come to some real and uh, interesting uh, conclusions around that. All right. Well, thank thank you very much today for your insights and explanations of communication. I've, I've certainly learned a lot, and I think our listeners probably have as well. And uh, thanks for your story about Timmy. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll publish it one day. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, so thank you again for your time, and we'll continue the discussion next next podcast. My absolutely, my pleasure. See you all again. <laughs> <laughs>